Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, everybody, welcome in once again. David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now, we step back into the ring, back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains. There ain't no hoss like the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller. There he is right there in the shadows of the Great Smoky Mountains. What's going on, Ron? Oh, geez, man. Uh, doing good. Beautiful day here. Uh, nice. And, uh, you know, had a nice weekend. Uh, so it's been good. Got no complaints about anything, my man. That's awesome. So that must mean no bear trouble lately. No, no. No, <laughs> you know. Good. Uh, Good, uh, but uh, you know he still he still visits us every once in a while. Yeah, so, uh, and thank goodness it's not the mama. Yeah, the <laughs> you know yeah. I don't see her, and that's probably a good thing that I don't see her. Yeah, and I'm sure she's there somewhere. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> all right, so hopefully no bear encounters are in your future. But listen, all right, Ron, as we get this thing started, as I saw the title in Southeastern Gulf Coast. Ron gets cut, and in southeastern Knoxville, a pole battle royal plus cage match. Of course, I was filled with questions. You know me. So it sounds like the Northern Territory was having all kinds of special matches in one night, while the Southern Territory, catching on fire at the box office, was even hotter for the heels. So you must have gone to the hospital somewhere in the Gulf Coast Territory. Are we going to hear about that now, or is that coming up on the show? I, I, I want oh, to know. Yeah, more. man. Yeah, that, that's that's going to be uh, one of the subjects of this one. And uh, you know, uh, it's in the same week. Forty-four years ago, I was in the worst riot in my wrestling career, Panama City, Florida. Uh, I was cut with a knife or a razor blade. I'm not sure which. Uh, while standing in the ring, man. Wow. And then hit over the head from behind by a fan with a steel chair. Once I got out of the ring. So I wasn't safe in the ring or out of the ring. <laughs> so, you know, so and, you know, we've been talking, you know, uh, every week about it now, about the riots and the having in almost every city along the Gulf Coast. And we're going to get into great detail, man, in this uh, case about the, about the worst ride we ever had in southeastern Gulf Coast. Wow. Okay. So we're going to also talk about the actual match, man. And one of the hottest finishes that I ever came up with, Dave, uh, and uh, it's really what caused the riot. Oh, this week. And, uh, okay. And every time I think about this particular riot, 
It makes me think of a movie many years ago, man, one called A Young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, you know, and, the, and if you remember in that movie, they had a leader of the townspeople and, uh, and, uh, young, and Frankenstein had gotten loose and uh, they were all kind of congregated at his home and he was kind of the guy that was heading the deal to, to find the monster. <laughs> And he had a great line in it. I never forget it. And every time I think about this riot, I, I think about the line. You know, he told him, you know, a, a, a line like I never, like I said, I never forgot. Mm-hmm. He said, with one of those real heavy accents from somewhere in whatever country or part of the world that was, he, he said something like, a riot is such an ugly thing. <laughs> 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 and, and that's what I experienced on the, July the 6th, wow. 1978. A riot that was such an ugly thing, I tell you. I love that movie. I remember it specifically, and I saw it in the theater. And I, I remember that line, Ryan. I can't believe you can make something funny out of a riot, especially one in which you were sent to the hospital after being cut. <laughs> well, you know, Dave, I'd rather laugh about it than cry about it. So as right. bad as it was, it could have been worse. And, and I'm thankful uh, to, to, it was just me that got injured and not one of our wrestlers that got injured. I can't wait to hear about it. So how are you planning to ride into this big tale? Well, we're going to start with uh, Southeastern Knoxville that had a great card. And you already kind of covered a little bit of it. We talk about the TV to promote that card and the results of the card. And we'll talk about the attendance. And then we'll head south in the southeastern Gulf Coast. We're going to look at the card of Dothan. Uh, but we're going to uh, put a lot of emphasis on Panama City and, uh, and the riot that happened in Panama City on July the 6th. And, uh, and if we have enough time, I'll answer another learning tree question at the end of it. All right, so it sounds like another loaded, I mean, big-time loaded stud cast as we've really experienced lately, except this one has a riot in it. Did we mention that? And before we begin, would you bring us up up to date quickly on the new things added to the ClassicContinentalWrestling.com streaming channel this week? There's always something new, it seems like, every week. You're loading it up. What What's going yeah, on? Yeah, you know, and I get a lot of fans now that are, you know, asking me about it and what's going on, uh, what's new is going each week. And, you know, and uh, I'd be as proud to tell you, man, as, as throwing a good wraparound punch, man. That's how I feel about it. It's a pretty <laughs> good deal. That, uh, now it's, a, huh. it's really got a lot of fans on it. And uh, so on this one, uh, this week, there's going to be a Chapter 4 of Brutus. Uh and uh, there may be even possibly Chapter 5 that will get on there this week as well. Wow. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been doing some of the voices for, for some of the characters in it, and uh, I'm kind of enjoying <laughs> it, man. Uh, uh, maybe I'm going to give myself an audio book job. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so and then many of more of the 1981 Southeastern shows, the Southeastern TV shows are finally going on there. And uh, wow, they're going on there in great numbers now. Many more of the 1981 Southeastern TV shows are going to be added this week. And coming soon, there's one of the most hilarious stars of the sports shows, uh, the old uh, Super Studcast, that I ever did. Uh, and it's with mm. the former NWA world champion, Terry Funk, and the man he trained, Stan Hansen. Wow. One of the best shows of its kind that I ever did. It was really, really fantastic, funny. 
Terry Funk is crazy. <laughs> I have to almost get him. I almost kicked him off the air, man. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I tell you what, I love everything on the streaming channel. I mean everything. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. You can subscribe now. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 for the entire year. So don't miss this one-week free trial while it's out there. All right, Stud, so where do we ride to first today? Well, man, we're going to head first into Knoxville, uh, southeastern there on Friday night, July 7th, 1978. Uh, we're back in the park again, and not in the Coliseum. We're outside in the amphitheater. We didn't get any rain that night, which was great. And then we'll discuss the TV of July the 1st, 1978, the one that promoted the card of July 7th. We'll talk about the results of that card, and we'll get the attendance. And uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, jump in a little bit of a softball game, man, another one of those charity games that we were doing it uh, about every other weekend. Uh, so the card opened with Rip Smith, and he was facing off against another very young, talented wrestler who I think was making his first appearance in Southeastern. And, uh, and uh, that guy would be Ted Allen, who, who later on trained Arn Anderson. So, you know, he was a pretty good trainer as well as a pretty darn good wrestler. So the second match featured a fast-rising young star man, Kevin Sullivan, taking on another star. Uh, after beating Don Fargo the week before and sending him out on the stretcher, uh, this time Kevin is going to be wrestling against Don Carson. Hmm. So it's from one Don to another. <laughs> so, uh, from Fargo, he's going to Carson. So to give fans a real perspective of the talent in that territory, man, at this time, uh, the third match on the card was Ronnie Garvin versus the great Malenko. Third match. So, and then the Southeastern belt was on the line. The champion, the Mongolian Stomper, managed by Don Carson, was defending his belt against the United States karate champion, Ron Slinker. And then there was a special event on this card. After the success of the Battle Royal the last week, this card had another battle royal, but this time there's 15 wrestlers competing in it. It's for 10000 rather than $5,000, and there's going to be, the check is going to be on the top of a 20-foot high steel pole. So it's a pole battle royal. <laughs> and uh, then the steel cage was going to get set up. Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and Bob Roop were going to face off against Dennis Condry, Phil Hickerson, and Ron Wright. I tell you, that's another great card right there, Stud. A pole battle royal and a cage match. And the same night, you and Bob Armstrong really had Southeastern Gulf Coast growing so rapidly. This strong card in Southeastern Knoxville makes it seem like Robert, your brother, Robert Fuller, the Southeastern Knoxville booker, was pulling out all the stops. So, <laughs> for real. So, was he trying to show you up? Was there a little thing going on there? So, what happened... On the July 1st TV, six days before this card. Well, you know, me and my brother never competed against oh, each other. Of course not, no. no. So it couldn't be that. <laughs> couldn't have been that. He was trying to get, he could see us coming on strong, and he was getting a little scared, man. That, uh -huh. Wait a minute. They can't take a new territory, territory over and start to beat me in six months' time. So, uh, so yeah, I think he was pushing this card. It was a really big one, though. So, uh, so let's ask uh, Bob Roop. Uh, you know, uh, Rob told me, you know, and they opened up this card with uh, him and Jimmy uh, and uh, Bob Roop. And uh, they were all sitting at the set with Les. And behind them on the set was the giant steel photo, which was there like every every show. 
Uh, this one was uh, Bob Root, who wasn't supposed to be in the match at all that, that this video was shot from. And uh, there he was on top of Ron Wright, beating the hell out of him. And Ron Wright's manager of the tag champions that were in the ring. So uh, those champions were paired off, obviously, against Robert and Jimmy. So uh, Les got right to the point, man, after people see the, the photo back there. And, uh, you know, most people are wondering, well, what is this all about? So Les asked Bob Root to explain what was going on in the photo and why he was even there in this particular match. So uh, Roop asked Les to back up the video to where Ron Wright got his team intentionally disqualified to save their belts, and uh, it would probably show the reason he was there. Hmm. So, uh, you know, then the three wrestlers that were involved in the upcoming cage match started explaining much more than just the match from the night before. They started to talk about quite a few things other than just why Bob Roop got involved. So fans were seeing what had happened the night before. But hearing how three of the last five weeks that this six-man tag matches had been going on between these same six guys, three out of the last five weeks, and it was time to finish it for good. And the cage match was a pretty good way of doing that. So the studio crowd, they agreed completely, and they let everyone at home know by applause, by a big round of applause once they found out this thing's going in the cage next Friday night. And uh, so and then it became, uh, you know, the, the cage had kind of become the preferred way of ending any conflict in Southeastern. Uh, those fans, you know, those guys then left the set. And uh, Ron Wright, Dennis Condry, Phil Hickerson, they went to the ring for the first TV match. And, uh, boy, their, their actions in the ring, Rob says, really let the fans know that they were ready for a cage match. He said they brutally beat up a team of young wrestlers, man, and then came to the set for the first interview. And uh, both teams really had nothing but praise for Don Curtis uh, for finally putting the six of them in a cage and letting them get as nasty as their feelings were for each other. <laughs> and that probably it was the best way to end this between them once and for all. So the stage for the cage was set. Huh. Both sides finished with comments about the pole battle royal the next Friday night, having twice as much money going to the winners did the battle royal from the week before. Uh, Everybody was ready in that six man uh, that was going to be involved in both the Royal and the Battle Royal. Wow. All right. I like the comment you said a second ago, the stage for the cage being set. So what was next? Well, Kevin Sullivan had been very impressive, man, since his arrival in, in Southeastern. Rob was really impressed with him. Uh, Kevin was really young at this point in his career. And he was going to get a push in the future, man. And he kind of started on this TV. He joined Les at the set, and he watched an incident from the night before between him and Don Fargo. And uh, it showed him getting the win in the middle of the ring against one of the greats of the sport. Don Fargo was a tremendous wrestler. And uh, then Fargo attacked him. Uh, once he got out of the ring, he had won. Fargo jumped on him on the floor, the Coliseum on his way back to the dressing room. And then the video just went on and it showed not just the end of the match, but it showed what happened then. And uh, Sullivan uh, fought back, fought the big guy back big time. And, uh, and he ended up pile driving Fargo on the concrete and they stretched him out. So uh, Fargo was headed south, you know? So Kevin went to the ring and followed up a strong video uh, with a live win on television. And, uh, you know, when you get the video, then you get the win you're really having two opportunities to get yourself over. Don Carson then joined Les at the set to remark about his single match 
upcoming match with Kevin the following Friday night. And that the fans shouldn't expect to see this young punk getting a win over him like they saw on the video there with Don Fargo earlier. So uh, Rob said Kevin joined the list at the set. Carson made his interview comments from Studio B, and Rob said Kevin made a great, humble interview, man, thanking everyone for their support of a Yankee boy from Boston, you know, because <laughs> that's exactly where he was from, man. Yeah, yeah. And how happy he was had the opportunity to wrestle another famous star like Don Carson <laughs> after winning over Don Fargo. So then when with Carson's turn, as you imagine, he ripped into him, man. He vowed in the next Friday night that that young punk was entering the ring with a bona fide star this time and would be leaving like Don Fargo did the night before, riding a stretcher. So the personality profile was uh, was with the taped-up Ronnie Garvin after his win of the 5,000 Battle Royal from the night before. And uh, that was the week we had all those Battle Royals, and he had won the one in Knoxville. Rob said it was live, and the fans, the, the uh, profile was live, and the fans that gave Garvin, obviously, a tremendous reception when he entered the studio and took a seat with Les. They didn't start it out with him already with Les. He entered and sat down with Les. They watched the video the end of the battle roar from the night before where the last two guys in the ring was Ronnie Garvin and the great Malenko, and both of them were bleeding. So it showed Garvin finally dumping Malenko over the top rope, and Rob said the studio audience popped, man, when they watched it just like they were seeing it for the first time. Uh, Ronnie finished by thanking Don Curtis and the Southeastern promoters for coming back with another battle roar, this one with a 20-foot-tall pole, and not 5000 on the line, but $10,000 prize this time. Whoa, yeah. Yes, made a pretty big difference there. Mm-hmm. So then a taped-up great Malenko turned the studio sour, man, immediately after the profile. He'd been busted the night before. He's all taped up, too, and he entered for a live match immediately after Garvin's profile. And he, again, as he had been doing pretty regularly at this point, literally stomped his opponent into submission, man. Started at his feet, and he worked his way up, inch by inch, up at the entire body until the young wrestler couldn't take anymore. I think in the wrestlers now, the young guys that had seen him wrestle, if they got in the ring with him, they knew what was coming. And uh, so this one started saying, I give, before he ever got to his head. You know, he didn't give him a chance to stop him in the face. So he started screaming. He gave up, and the referee rang the bell, stopped the match, and uh, and uh, tried to, you know, keep the young man from having any more pain. But uh, the Malenko wasn't finished, and he just shoved the referee down, and he went back to finish the job. And he started with his face this time. And then uh, Ronnie Garvin saved the young kid, man, and uh, he charged in the ring, and Malenko retreated. So uh, then Garvin went to the set with Les. Malenko showed up in Studio B for the next interview, and Garvin uh, – Malenko had his chain with him, man, uh, and he carried it everywhere at this point. And he told Garvin that he should never, ever interfere in a match of his again. That Garvin and the weak owners of Southeastern didn't have the guts to sign a Russian chain match, but he was going to give Garvin a huge beating anyway without the chain. That the $10,000 for the next battle royal was going in his pocket next Friday, that Garvin wouldn't even make it to the battle roar because he had to face Malenko before he even got to the battle roar. 
So Garvin again thanked Don Curtis in Southeastern for giving me a chance to win fifteen thousand dollars extra in one week. Mm-hmm. He had won five grand the night before, and he figured he'd get this next in, and uh, that's a pretty good week for him. And then uh, the last segment of the show, it opened with Carson and the Stomper to set with Les, and they watched how Ron Slinker, who was a special referee the night before in the tag match with Ronnie Garvin and Joe Duke, had karate chopped Don Carson. And then counted him out after Garvin covered him. And uh, obviously it cost Carson the Stomper to lose a pretty important match. So Carson said that the only reason the karate boy was even going to get a shot at the Southeastern title (laughs) was because of what he had done (laughs) before. And the next Friday night was going to be the end of Ron Slinker's career. So Ron Slinker got a big hand from the studio crowd. He got a quick victory in the last TV match. He had his chance to reply to Don Carson's last comments during the last interview. But uh, sadly, you know, Rob and I talked about it. Uh, uh, Ron Slinker had, had a lot of tr- talent, you know, but his interview skills were far behind his work in the ring. And uh, didn't help him any. That fact didn't. Uh, he would have probably had a much better career if he had uh, uh, had the opportunity to spend a little more time learning how to talk. Hmm. Really, another great TV stud, four videos, a six-man tag, and loaded with stars. So what happened the next Friday night? Well, Rip Smith uh, beat Ted Allen. Uh, Kevin Sullivan kind of continued, man. He's climbing southeastern, uh, and he won over Don Carson. Uh, Ronnie Garvin and the great Malenko met in only their second match since Malenko had arrived. That's hard to imagine, more than two months earlier. They had only wrestled once prior to this match. And this one had to be stopped. It was a no contest after about 15 minutes. Uh, pretty bloody thing. Uh, third match on the cards already having that kind of a fight. But uh, these guys didn't care much for either, for either each other. So, uh, you know, Ron Slinker wasn't able to capture the Southeastern belt from the Mongolian Stomper. He just wasn't ready for that kind of talent yet. Uh, the pole battle royal ended with the same two men from the week before, the last two in the ring, Ronnie Garvin and the great Malenko. And uh, and again, they were bleeding in the third match, and they started bleeding again toward the end of this one, uh, same as they were the week before. And the Garvin climbed the pole and got the money, but Malenko left the ring with the check. And uh, you know how that works. I had a little luck with that myself with Bob Armstrong on occasion down there in the southeast. Gulf Coast. <laughs> so uh, then after the pole battle royal, they erected the cage, and uh, Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and Bob Roop won the match versus Condry, Hickerson, and Ron Wright. Wow. All right. So how'd you do in attendance? Had to be, had to be a really good night. Well, it was, uh, it was the first outside event of the summer, like I mentioned earlier, uh, and it was obviously in the park rather than the Coliseum. Uh, at this point, I think the Coliseum has become a more uh, favored venue than the park. Mm-hmm. But there were still 5,800 fans in attendance, almost 6,000 in that outside wow. amphitheater. Uh, which uh, j- basically, when you look at it, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty darn full at 6,000. The outside amphitheater actually held a few more people than the Coliseum. Wow. Okay. So were were people spilling into the grass area? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. yeah they were, Rob said they were sitting in the grass. Uh, <laughs> 
You know, it wasn't uh, a mass sitting in the grass, but right. the grandstands right. were packed. Yeah. And uh, and quite a few, several hundred, he said, sitting in the grass. Yeah, that area is kind of cool to, to have had to fall back on. All right, you said that you were going to find out about the next Southeastern charity event of the summer. Can you tell us anything on that? Yeah, Rob and I kept uh, talking about this, and more more less than I than Rob and I, Les was really kind of in charge of these charity events, and this softball game was with one of the largest companies in the city. In fact, it was the new Sentinel newspaper company, which had hundreds of employees, and it didn't help them much, you know, the number of employees, because uh, the wrestlers had a pretty good softball team, man, and uh, they won their fourth in a row. And the crowd was close to 3,000. Man, they, you know, uh, we, they were just about to fill up that uh, old Bill Myers baseball stadium. Wow, out there. yeah. So, uh, you know, really packing them in there. And uh, it was close to 3,000. And they, they collected about over $10,000 for charity. That was on the Sunday afternoon of July 2nd, 1978. That's a great idea. That's a really great idea to acquire money for charity, of course in the southeastern area also another huge night of wrestling for the fans in southeastern knoxville it's a, hey, i tell you what this is a good place to take a break because i know we got a lot to talk about coming back with southeastern gulf coast and the unreal real story of your worst ever riot experience so we'll take a quick break and that's coming up when this studcast continues right here all right, Studcast fans, the riot in this week's episode is a perfect example of the many wrestling subjects, wrestlers, and historic facts that can only be found on Ron's website, tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. There are 43 super Studcasts there. Each has a unique story to tell, and who better to tell a story than the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller? Each super Studcast is only $2.99 almost three hours in length and takes you on a special ride every time saddle up for history tnstud.com tnstud.com click super studcast pick your horse and rear back in the saddle and take a ride with the tennessee stud all right welcome back to another studcast david summers with the tennessee stud ron fuller okay ron i think you said at the beginning of this one that you were going to give us the Dothan card in Southeastern Gulf Coast this week and the Panama City, Florida match that included the riot, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm having to change it up a little bit because uh, the, the explanation of the riot is, is, is fairly long. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite involved, I guess, a good way of putting it. And, uh, you know, so uh, and I'm doing it so listeners can kind of get a feel for what the three major cities were going to get that week in southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, those three cities being Dothan, Mobile, and Montgomery, they're all going to get the same card. We kind of changed that bicycling around to where we sent that tape out immediately to both those other cities, the Mobile and the Montgomery market. So they got the show uh, pretty much uh, pretty at the same time practically that Dothan did. So, uh, as usual, the TV focused on that card as it moved around the territory. So, uh, and then Panama City, Florida got a completely different card than anywhere else, uh, as did Pensacola, as an example. And if we had done that same match and the same finish uh, that we did in Panama City this night that we're going to be talking about in the other three major cities, I'm positive 
I'm absolutely positive we'd have had a ride in all three of them. <laughs> I don't think you want any of that. All right, so no. I can't no, wait. To, sir. <laughs> I can't wait to hear today's story. So what was that card for the three biggest cities? Well, the card started out, it's going to start out the first night in uh, Friday night, July 7th, 1978. Three days later, that card will be taking place, same card in Montgomery. And the next night on Tuesday, July 11th, it's going to happen in Mobile. So uh, the card was Wildman Don Fargo, who has just left southeastern Knoxville, has gone to southeastern Gulf Coast. And uh, we changed his name to Wildman because uh, he was such a talent, he could do anything, man. So it didn't make any difference how you used him. And uh, so Wildman Don Fargo is going to be in the first match against Rocket Munro. Uh, and all against all, four-man elimination, four elimination match with David Schultz, Charlie Cook, Mike Stallings, and Eddie Mansfield is going to take place second on the card. And $1,000 is going to go to the winner of that elimination match. Uh, Tony Charles had been wrestling every night just about since he had arrived in the southeastern Gulf Coast with Eddie Sullivan. And Sullivan just could not accept how easily Charles was beating him every week. So Eddie kept challenging him to these different style of matches each week uh, as if he's trying to find out if Tony Charles had a weakness somewhere. <laughs> he couldn't find any way to beat Charles and uh, so uh, this week's challenge from Eddie Sullivan uh, to Tony Charles was for a Texas death match. I guess Sullivan figured that Tony couldn't duke it out with him very well, and uh, we'll find out a little bit about that. Uh, then there was a Gulf Coast Tag Championship match between Ricky and Robert Gibson, the current champions, and Billy Spears and the Assassins. And there was a most unusual main event for this one, man. Bob Armstrong and I were going to be having a 10-round boxing match. <laughs> and the winner going to win the wrestling belt. Uh, wow! All right, so you 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 had him on reach, right? Oh yeah, man! <laughs> I was jabbing that sucker. Wow! I thought his head was going to pop off back. You, so you could hit him from pretty much anywhere in the ring, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I figured I had a real uh, advantage on this one, so uh, I was more than glad to book this one, Matt. Holy cow! Did you yeah. do the? Did you do the thing? Maybe you're going to tell that. Did you do the thing where you just held his head and he was just uh, swinging away and couldn't hit you? <laughs> the schoolboy thing. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. Man. You know, Bob would go for some things, but I don't yeah. think he would have gone for yeah. that one. He's yeah, he's more of a man. I think he's more of a man than I just described. All right, so really, that's fun. But I, I love that card. A ten round boxing match, four man elimination match, a Texas Death match, and a tag championship match. What? So the the TV show that promoted it. Let's let's go. Kind of, that's how you set this whole thing up. Let's talk about that. Well, this TV had a tag team championship match on it, which was pretty unusual. Obviously, that's going to be. Uh, the two tag champions are Ricky and Robert Gibson against uh, it's going to be against the assassins and Billy Spears. So they've got a heck of a main event on this TV. Plus they're going to see Tony Charles. They're going to see Bob Armstrong and they're going to see David Schultz live in action on this show. And it opened up with me at the set with Charlie Platt and Gordon Soley. And we were watching the battle Royal from Mobile four days earlier. And uh, if people remember last week, we talked about this battle royal in particular and uh, that we were shooting a video there 
especially because of where it was and all of the things that uh, that made it going to make it special. So the video, this video, Battle Royal from Mobile four days earlier, it started with me bragging about how easily I won the Royal and the money, <laughs> Mr. Goody Two Shoes, Bob Armstrong, and uh, that he was the last man in the ring with me and. Uh, and it was definitely not what fans were seeing on their screen, though, as I'm I'm talking about what's going on, basically, as the video's running. But I'm not describing what actually is going on. In fact, it was so bad that uh, Charlie and Gordon both kept asking me, what battle royal are you watching, Ron? <laughs> because I was not where they were on the same page. Because the video, man, it clearly showed me... Uh, uh, they showed me in one spot where I had the referee's attention. I had him back turned to what was going on, and uh, Bob Armstrong had already thrown out David Schultz and Eddie Mansfield, and uh, they had drug him out of the ring or beaten the heck out of him on the floor. And then they tossed him back in after they had, I guess, pounded him for probably a minute, seemed like, probably seemed like five minutes to Armstrong. And uh, then the fans in the studio watching on their monitors, uh, they started booing me, man. They, you know, they see what's going on, and, and I'm saying, well, I, I had an easy win, <laughs> and I did. <laughs> That's about as easy as you can get, man. They softened him up pretty good for me. So, and then on the video, Mansfield and Schultz, they rolled Armstrong back into the ring, and I went over, and I grabbed him up, and I tossed him over the top rope. My hand was raised, <laughs> and I was handed a check for five grand. Boom. So, you know, for the first time now since the video had started up, I brought to everyone's attention kind of what was really happening. And 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 the riot was starting. That was really happening. Oh. I don't know if fans remember last week when I just you know, I described my match with Bob and that they got mad and how we when I beat him in the Royal, they they had a riot. And mm -hmm. so uh, mm -hmm. so they're getting the riot now on the video. They're seeing that, but uh but I didn't call it that. You know, I, I said, you know, See how happy all those Alabama Redneck fans are out there to see me win? He goes, look at them. They're charging the ring to congratulate me. <laughs> as far from charging to congratulate me, they're, they're coming to get me, right? So, you know, the, the police, and then it showed the police pulling the people, fans off the apron of the ring as they were trying to get in the ring. And I continued on saying, you know, you know, look how those rednecks wanted to get in the ring. They wanted to put me on their shoulders. They wanted to carry me and David <laughs> Schultz and Eddie Mansfield back to the dressing room. They were so happy to see me win. <laughs> About uh -oh. that time, as the three of us, three of us were leaving the ring, mm -hmm. the video showed the crowd close in on us and the police. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Hey, we were on the way to the dressing room. Uh, it was wild. <laughs> I, I remember when we showed it, uh, when I looked at it, I said, we got to get out of it right here. We don't want to show any more of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was going to encourage the fans to do yeah. more of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, then I got up immediately after finishing my little uh, <laughs> my little interpretation of what had happened in the Battle Royal. And I thanked all the freeloading rednecks in the studio for their support. And then I returned to yeah. the dressing room with the best heat I had so far since arriving in the Gulf Coast, man. How nice I've of had you. Some fun. <laughs> All right. So then, uh, you know, the then the personality profile. You know, uh, Bob drove. Uh, here, let me. <laughs> I'm having such a good time. I got to catch myself up, man. So 
Tony Charles was in the first match, and um, boy, he he and then he got to plug his upcoming Texas Death Match with Eddie Sullivan, and uh, and he was very honest. He didn't know anything about a Texas Death Match and what the rules were or anything else, but he said, uh, "I feel like I have a good chance against this guy, no matter what it is." <laughs> that was pretty humiliating for <laughs> Sullivan. Uh. So then Bob Armstrong drove the studio crazy as usual, and he and I. Uh, world then after his win and they're talking about the upcoming 10 rounds of boxing where the Gulf Coats belt was on the line and then the personality profile was was uh was on and uh and it was about an on and off star in the Gulf Coast territory uh who had been both babyface and heel there on and off for probably 20 years man mm -hmm. we're talking about Don Fargo oh surely you're familiar with him man I mean sure. you know yeah he had returned as a babyface this time, called himself Wild Man, and had asked for an opportunity to explain on the personality profile why he came there, why he why he was back hmm. in that part of the country. So both Charlie and Gordon sat down with him, and they talked about many things, but mainly his disdain for one manager in particular that was in the area that he had wanted to settle a long running score with for a long time. And then he said, I get it done and I'm going to move on. I'm just here to take care of business. So uh, then the, they asked and asked and they finally said, uh, I'm talking about Billy Spears. <laughs> you know, what other kind of jerk do you have here? You know, so then Spears and his assassin, uh, you know, they were getting shot later in the show at the Gulf Coast tag team belts of the Gibsons. So, uh, you know, so Wildman Fargo, I tell you what, Don Fargo was an extremely talented man in many ways. One thing he was most famous for, and I'm sure fans out there don't have any idea, he was an absolutely fantastic character painting. He could do character paintings of wrestlers and individuals that oh. just were phenomenal. Like you, you're talking about like... At the fair, they might do a cartoon kind of caricature. There, there you go, a caricature. Wow. And, uh, you know, he would do his in pencil. He loved the wow. work in pencil. And uh, at the end of the profile then, he, he opened up a large bag that he had brought on the set with him, and he presented both Charlie and Gordon with a large, beautiful pencil painting caricature of each of them as wow. a gift. Wow. And uh, so then they closed the profile, and uh, he went straight from there right into the ring. Wow. Okay. So he's making friends. <laughs> he's yeah. Doing no dummy. Yeah. You know. So uh, he heads into the ring, and uh, and his opponent was uh, Eddie Sullivan, right? So he got a big round of applause from the studio audience, and he looked very good against an experienced heel, which Sullivan really was. And then uh, Billy Spears and the Assassins—they had obviously watched the monitor and, and seen what went on and what uh, Fargo had to say. So they came straight out to the set with Charlie and Gordon while this match is going on. And Spears jumped in. Man, he had nothing could, but contempt for, for, for uh, Fargo, man. It was like, mm -hmm. wow, Fargo mm -hmm. said some bad things about uh, Spears, but Spears <laughs> really went off on Fargo. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and while all this is going on, uh, Fargo's taking Sullivan to school, man. <laughs> I mean, he's in there really working over Kevin, uh, old Eddie Sullivan. So then Sullivan, when he couldn't take any more of it, he just rolled out of the ring. He headed to the dressing room. He'd had enough, you know. So then Spears and his, his assassin, they headed for the ring. 
soon as that happened, they went to the ring. So Fargo saw him coming, and he just stood there defiantly in the middle of the ring, and he motioned for all three of them, come on in. You know, and the two assassins, uh, they and the Spears, as usual, man, attempting to look dangerous, man. He acted like he was going to charge in there, and they grabbed him. No, 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 don't go, Billy. Don't go, Billy. You know, and then when they released him, they got their heads together, and they surrounded old Fargo in the ring. They got on three sides of the ring, right? Right. So the studio watching all this, and they heard the little thing with Fargo, and, you know, they and they didn't like Spears and the assassins, that's for sure. So that studio got hot it got electric in there fans were going crazy and just as the three of them were about to hit the ring ricky and robert gibson who were scheduled to fit in their belts in the next tv match they arrived the ringside they already had their belts on they were getting ready to get to come come to the ring anyway and they shot up into the ring and it kind of even the numbers for fargo hmm. so um uh, the studio, boy, they left leapt to their feet then, man. No one had expected they were going to get to see this. So the TV, the the, the referee for the program, uh, he came back in the ring. He had gotten out when Sullivan left, and he hit the ring, and he tried to calm things down. And then Charlie and Gordon, they, they were kind of both at a loss for words about what's going on here. And then the Gibsons took their belts off. They patted Fargo on the back, and they pointed for him to go to the dressing room. He left. And then they motioned for the assassins to come on in. Let's do it. So Gordon and Charlie, man, they're, they're sharp. They both picked up on the fact that the brother team was ready to defend the belts. And so they got the last TV match started for those belts. And everybody in the studio was on their feet when it started. And they never sat down. Wow. And uh, so the assassins charged into the ring. And wow, all hell broke loose, man. They had a hellacious fight, didn't they? That is an incredible way to get a championship match started. So what happens next? Well, the Gibsons look like champions, man, as they took everything the Assassins had and more. And uh, the match wasn't, wasn't a long match, but it was filled with excitement. And I've never seen Ricky and Robert so fired up. That crowd was just red out fuel for them, man. They had them going nuts. So then Spears uh, never sat down in his chair. You know, he always had a chair out there by the ring post for him to sit in if he wanted to because he's the manager. But he never sat down in his chair in the assassin's corner as long as this match went on. So uh, toward the end of it, Ricky had one of the assassins in the far corner away from uh, the corner where Spears was. And uh, he had him pinned uh, below him and he was standing on the middle rope, man, and he was rifling him with some rip right hands. I was like, wow, he's rocking this dude. And then, and then the ref was there trying to pull him off. And so in the other corner, <laughs> the assassin over there with Robert had stopped Robert and he put him in a full Nelson and he, and he shoved his head out through the ropes where Billy Spears was. <laughs> and Billy grabbed up that steel chair, man. He hadn't sat in it, but he used it as a weapon pretty darn good. He hit Robert Gibson with the hardest chair shot I had ever seen. Wow. Like, wow. I, I thought it killed him. Uh, Robert went straight back onto the mat, out cold. Uh, the assassin covered him. The ref saw the pin, uh, and Ricky's still beating the heck out of the other assassin. And uh, he turned around, and, uh, you know, he counted him out, counted Robert out. And uh, Wild Man Fargo, man, came running into the studio. 
Spears saw him coming, and Spears started running around the opposite side of the ring. He chased him all the way around the ring, and, and the assassins had already gone to the dressing room. Billy Spears uh, ran into the Eagles dressing room with him. And uh, then, uh, obviously, Fargo came back to the ring. Hmm. Wow. All right, so how did this all end? Well, Robert Gibson was unconscious, and I mean, uh, it was it was probably three to four minutes that wow, you know, they couldn't get him, couldn't get him to from the chair shot, from the chair shot. Oh wow. yeah, man! I mean, the chair shot was like I said, I yeah. thought it might have killed him. Yeah. It was just horrible. I'd never God. seen anybody get hit that hard with a chair. Yeah, and uh, so they brought a stretcher in and they put him on the stretcher, and uh, and his brother, uh, you know, Ricky uh, joined a. Uh, went to the set with Charlie and Gordon, you know, because mm. there, there's basically kind of mass confusion. What What's going to happen here and what's going on? You got Fargo trying to help them. You, you got a couple of the other uh, baby faces out there with them. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was, a, it was kind of an odd situation right at the end of the show. So, uh, so he and Robert, uh, you know, uh, Ricky uh, joined Charlie and Gordon at the set and, uh, and he and Robert were scheduled to defend the belts in at least three cities that week. And uh, now and now they'd lost the belts. They'd been beaten right on TV. So uh, Ricky was being told about the chair shot that his brother had taken because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he didn't even see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Gordon and, and Charlie were trying to explain to him what happened. And, uh, you know, he said, Billy Spears hit him with the chair. So Ricky said he and his brother were automatically entitled to a return match for the belts, wow. which is that's the way all tag team deals work. Mm -hmm. If you uh, lost your belts, you had a return match. You, you got it uh, right away. Yeah. So both Gordon and Charlie, you know, after seeing how hard that his brother had taken that shot that his brother had taken a few minutes earlier, they they had to ask Ricky, you know, about you know, is Robert going to be able to return? You know, he's at the very least, he's going to have a concussion. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's going to take a while. Yeah. So uh, then Fargo came to the set and he offered to wrestle as a partner with Ricky if, if he needed to. And he told Ricky, uh, you know, he said, I'll help you uh, until your brother can return to action. And he said, if, if we win the belt, he said, when your brother comes back to action, I'll give him the belt. You and wow. him will be the champions again. So heck of a deal, you know. So they asked Charlie and Gordon if if they thought they could make that happen uh, <laughs> to let Don Fargo take Robert's place in the upcoming return matches for the tag belts. Mm -hmm. So the studio popped. Obviously, Ricky and Fargo hugged each other and left the set. Then they went back to check on Ricky's brother. So uh, into the show, running out of time. Billy Spears and his assassins. As soon as they leave the set, they run to the set. And as the show's running out of time, Spears was screaming that this wasn't right, you know, and he said, he said, he said, my mother's attorney, uh, she'll be, he'll be on it today, you know, and he said uh, that, uh, you know, it wasn't right that Fargo could take Ricky Gibson's spot for a championship match. That's just not right. Wow. And then uh, as mm -hmm. the show was actually closing, they were beginning to run the credits and play the music. Last thing <laughs> Spears' mouth was, he said, are you watching this, mama? <laughs> 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 oh. Oh, boy, Billy's oh. getting a bad day out oh. there, Mama. Help me, Mama. Oh, oh my Lord. I was also thinking about the quality and thickness of chairs then 
versus today and what you might see. Oh, on yeah, today. man. I mean, they were yeah. the, old, the old real thing, man. You pick up one of those things, they weigh yeah. 20 pounds. Yeah. Something. And then they then they started making them a whole lot lighter that you could just put over one knee and bend. Yeah. Man. This is 1978. Yeah. This is back away. Yeah. Those were good old church type chairs. All right, so, man, that's a great TV show right there, Rod. We usually tell what the results of this card and TV was, but I've got a feeling the Panama City riot story. We've been waiting on this one this in this studcast for a while. Maybe uh, maybe this could be a long one. So, Rod, could we tell everybody the results of the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV and the matches next studcast and get right into the PC riot? You want to do that? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Dave, you know, and uh, and, and right. for fans out there, too, man, you know, I, I've been, the studcasts have got so much going on with two territories. I've been loading right. these studcasts with so much information each other, most of uh, which uh, goes considerably longer than the one-hour studcast have been designed for her there. The, yeah, but we, yes, yeah, we can open up next week's studcast with cool. the Southeastern yeah. Gulf Coast Territory, and we can start out with the results of the the card that uh, we have just talked about today. And uh, and uh, thanks for being on top of it, Dave. Uh, and what I'm going to talk about now is going to end up taking some time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. All right, Stud. So tell us what happened at the end of the night, July 6, 1978, Panama City, Florida. And I don't know how many times you had been there or wrestled there, but this had to have been the event that, that this is the reason you, this is what you think of when you mention Panama City now. Oh yeah, man! You never forget. You never get this. Forget this type of experience. And yeah, we'd probably had. I'm gonna guess uh, eight to ten matches in Panama City. Uh, the crowd had gone from very small to uh, right around 2,000. I think that's probably what was probably in that building really tonight. It was an old skating rink that had been renovated into a wrestling arena, and it was just about as many people as that building was whole was 2,000. Had bleachers all the way around the outside. And a significant amount of ringside seats. So, uh, so before we get really into this, everybody needs to be aware that this riot that I'm about to describe happened just five days after the TV that we just talked about. So on a Saturday, five days later, I'm in the in this this riot. And the night before, and it happened this riot. The night before, I was supposed to box to box. Mm-hmm. At the boxing match, Bob Armstrong for ten rounds in the <laughs> Gulf Coast, uh, uh, and the winner gets the Gulf Coast belt in Dothan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's right in the middle of a lot of things that were going on. So, so Bob and I had decided we put this uh, tag championship match on last. It's for the championship. It was Ricky and Robert Gibson who were the champions. Instead of defending against the assassins as they were in most places, they were defending against me and David Schultz. And as I said earlier, this was one of the hottest finishes I ever dreamed up, man. And I was going to pay the price for it. <laughs> I was pretty <laughs> sad that I, I went this far. Mm-hmm. So uh, Schultz and I went to the ring first. And then when the Gibsons got to the ring with their belts on, we attacked them as they were entering the ring. We threw Ricky over the top rope and uh, we busted open his brother, Robert. And uh, he was bleeding badly, man. He, wow. he, was, he was really bloody real quick mm-hmm. and so when ricky got back in the ring we just backed off you know and uh, 
and he tried his best to stop the bleeding. He had him and had a couple of people pass him handkerchiefs and stuff like that from the crowd, and uh, you know they weren't going to stop this bloody man. Wow. He was he was really really bleeding. So you know so Ricky had to take his brother back to the dressing room, which was at the front of the building. Okay, so Schultz and I, uh, we're standing in the ring waiting on something to come, somebody to come back. And uh, so we both took turns on the microphone. And uh, we started telling the referee over the microphone that you need to raise our hands in victory and, and go back there and get the belts, that this one's over. You know, we've won. Mm -hmm. So the crowd mm -hmm. was obviously already really mad by this point. And, uh, and it was just beginning. To, <laughs> they were just beginning to get mad. So then the rickety finally came back to the ring. And he brought Mike Stallings with him, who had offered to take Robert's place in the match. And the referee uh, had, had, him, had him announce that uh, Mike Stallings is here and he wants to take Robert Gibson's place. And uh, and uh, they would still defend the belts. So, <laughs> so I took the microphone and I announced that we had signed a contract for a championship match against the Gibson brothers. Uh, not just one of them and a substitute opponent. It wasn't on the contract that the contract said that we we're going to wrestle the Gibson brothers for the championship. And then uh, Schultz got on. He demanded that if Ricky Gibson wasn't going to wrestle us by himself and Mike Stallings wasn't going to leave the ring, <laughs> then the Gibsons had to forfeit the match. There was no, no, no other option. The referee had to raise our hands in victory, had to go back to the dressing room and get our belts, and then we were automatically the new Gulf Coast Tag Champions. Well, you can imagine the building exploded <laughs> boost to that one, man. They're like, whoa, what are y'all doing, right? So uh, Stalin didn't want to leave. You know, he didn't want to leave Ricky by himself. So we got the microphone and said the only way that we would now wrestle for the belts because they had negated the original contract and there was no Robert Gibson to wrestle in his part uh -huh. is if Ricky Gibson would defend the tag belts by himself. Oh, God. Whoa, Ron. <laughs> well, I was not asking too much. All right, listen, you'd already heard his brother before the match started, and now you're demanding Ricky wrestle both of you by himself or just hand the belts over to both of you. So what's, what's wrong with that? You got it, Dave, and so yeah. did the crowd. <laughs> wow, they weren't yeah. like... <laughs> oh man, I thought the ride was on and we hadn't done anything. <laughs> right. No, man, yeah. nothing had happened. So it was like totally electric in that building, man. And I mean, most of the fans were at this point already on their feet and the match hadn't even started. It had never, ever got started. So uh, Ricky and the referee are over there discussing it. And, uh, and me and Schultz are kind of got our back turned and laughing to each other in the way, you know, about, well, wow, this is, this is easy. Uh, and all of a sudden, Ricky charged us, man, <laughs> and the bell was rung. And so some wow. of the fans in the building started screaming, no, Ricky, no. And the others were screaming, go, Ricky, go. Yeah, wow. <laughs> some of them were saying, no, don't do it. And the others were saying, go get him, Ricky. So Ricky Gibson, man, was a great worker, one of the best. He knew how to get great heat, and even more so, he knew how and when to make a big comeback, man. And he tore into us, man. He bumped us all over that ring. And that building was on its feet and 100% behind him. 
for at least about the first 10 minutes of the match, we couldn't do anything with him. And then we finally got him stopped. And boy, as soon as we got him stopped, all that heat that we had built just came back instantly, man. So uh, one of us do the referee away and uh, let the illegal man work him over. And then we double teamed him. And then we opened the cut on Ricky. Now his brother's gone, bleeding. Now Ricky's bleeding. So at about this time in the match, our six paid policemen disappeared from ringside. <laughs> Somewhere in the front of the building. They weren't going to be seen again that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they sensed it. I think <laughs> they sensed, wow, this ain't going to be good. And uh, so then the fans became, they began to approach ringside. And there were only a few, uh, you know, around the ring uh, back in those days there used to be nothing there back in those days but uh, mm-hmm. we had had so many problems already with riots in southeastern gulf coast that that we had these about four feet tall steel stanchions that you run the little rope through mm-hmm. yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah, yeah. had probably about yes. eight of them around the ring stationed uh, so that the rope kind of ran there so yeah. you had uh, these stanchions with this little rope running through it to keep all these people back the ring. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Now the cops are already somewhere in the front of the building. They're not going to do anything. So Ricky's bleeding badly, man. And uh, obviously his brother's been back in the dressing room for about 20 minutes at this point. And uh, so me and Schultz, we're, we're just, we're just stomping Ricky's brains out. I mean, taking turns, man. It's like, and the, the fans are just getting closer to the ring and closer to the ring, man. And then and then something happened I had never seen before in all my years in the sport. Never seen it again either. Uh, mm. The fans got to ringside. They bellied up to ringside on one side of the ring where Ricky was close to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had him down and was stomping him. And they reached in and grabbed his foot. And oh. I grabbed his other foot. And there were so many of them pulling on him that they drug him out of my hands. I couldn't hold on to it. Wow. They drug him out away from the ring into the crowd, and they were trying to keep him, to, to make him stay there. And yeah. he's bleeding like crazy, and he just started fighting the man. He had to, he fought him until he could get back close enough to the ring, man, that I could grab him. So, and, they're, you know, wow, they're yeah. trying to pull him out. He's trying to get back into the ring. Yeah, because that ain't the end of the match. Right, right. right? God, what happened? Yeah. So what? So what now? Okay, so they pulled him out of the ring. Now he's fighting, and he gets back to the ring. So I stepped through the ropes, and when he got close enough to me, I reached out, and I grabbed a handful of his hair, and I pulled him back into the ring. And again, the fans grabbed his feet and drug him back out, out into the crowd again, right? Wow. And and then uh, he fought again, and, and when he got close enough to the ring this time, I reached out, and I grabbed a handful of his hair, and all of a sudden, man, I felt this burning sensation, man, on my right forearm. Uh, and I never let him go. I continued to drag mm-hmm. him back in the ring. I wasn't even paying any attention to it because uh, right. it was, it was, it was getting very dangerous, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, right. And uh, and when I drug him back in the ring, I noticed the blood shooting out of my right arm. Oh my know? god. So I'd been cut, and, I, and I'd never left the ring. Uh, yeah, I was going to say you were still in the ring. I was still in the ring. I'd never right. gotten out of the ring. I reached out there and grabbed him, right. and I got cut. I just drug him in anyway. So every time you were pulling him back in the ring, whether it was by a foot or the hair or whatever, you were in the ring. Yes. 
Wow. I never left the ring right. during this part of it. I never Holy. got out of the ring. Uh, they drug him out. I pulled him back in. They drug him out again. The second time I went to pull him in, they got me. Somebody got wow. me with a knife or Holy a razor blade, whatever. Cow. Yeah. And uh, so well, I drug him back in. I just tagged Schultz, and, and we continued to beat on him. I mean, and it seemed like by this point, everybody in the building had left their seats and they'd all pushed their way to belly up to the ring. I mean, so it was about that time that, uh, thank God, Robert Gibson, whose head was heavily bandaged at this point, mm-hmm. fought his way through the crowd. He came out of the dressing room in front of the building, fought his way through the crowd to get to the ring to save his brother. Wow. And, uh, boy, when he did, they tore into us, man, uh, it seemed like for five minutes, they made a tremendous comeback on both of us, man. Wow. But it wasn't enough to make the fans forgive us. I did not take the heat off of us. So there was no stopping what was about to happen at this point. Wow. So uh, Schultz was the first one to hit the floor. And uh, we hit a floor on the side of the ring where the our dressing room was. But it was in the back corner of the building. And uh, there wasn't any aisle open. There was no aisle. Uh. Uh, there was no cop to be seen anywhere uh-huh. and it seemed like uh, 2,000 fans in the building had all come to the ring <laughs> they were God. all right on top of us yeah so uh so i jumped down behind schultz to, to watch his back you know after already being cut myself you know i was figuring no i ain't gonna let anybody get in from behind so the fans uh, close by they kind of backed away about five feet mm-hmm. you know uh, david uh, you know bullied him a little bit uh, you know uh, made him think that he was going to do something. Yeah. And then he picked up one of those steel stanchions that uh, was holding the rope around the ring, and he raised it over his head, man, like a weapon. Wow, yeah. And wow, that turned the crowd into a mob. Oh, It was no, no longer a crowd. Now it's a mob. So, uh, you know, it was, it was like a challenge. You know, uh, now we're going to get you, <laughs> you know. Holy so, cow. so, and I had nobody watching my back. So, uh, <laughs> someone behind me hit me over the head with a steel chair, <laughs> creating another hole in my body. <laughs> I had blood running down in my ears. <laughs> I had blood running down my arm, dripping off my hand. And uh, so, what do you do, man? Schultz and I, we began to fight, man, our way toward the dressing room. Uh, the only thing that saved us from telling, uh, uh, from no telling what, man, was the other heels in the dressing room. Good grace. All right, that is just absolutely crazy. So y- you've already said many times that after you realized this was such a dangerous territory when it came to riots, you told all the heels to stay until the match was over every night just in case somebody was, something like this was going to happen so everybody could make it back to the dressing room safely. That's it. Wow. That's exactly what I thought. Thank God I did. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because on this night, I was very glad to see the heel cavalry charging from the dressing room, man. And uh, bodies started flying. Wow. It was unbelievable. Uh, they were just, they were creating a path. Wow. And I mean, bodies were just going uh, face first, back first. Uh, it was just people flying everywhere. Uh, they had no sympathy the heels toward anybody, man. They were just on a mission to get us. They were going to save us. So uh, the strange thing about uh, when something like this happened, though, and I never realized it until this riot, is you see a lot of things in a riot that you normally wouldn't. Uh, you know, 
sometimes uh, things appear to be in slow motion in the riot almost, you know. And I, and at, at this mm. time in this riot, mm. I saw one of the assassins grab a guy uh, who was trying to punch him, grabbed him by the back of his neck and the seat of his pants, mm -hmm. and he lifted him up about waist high. And he ran him probably 20 feet and shot him head first through the bleachers. Wow. Back <laughs> back by the dressing room. Yeah. And I saw the guy's head hit the concrete wall underneath the bleachers. Good God. Shot him. He must have yeah. gone. He flew 15 feet and hit head first in the wall. Wow. Uh, I saw a couple of guys go knock. I knew they were knocked out when the uh, guys hit him. You could see it. I could see it on the way down. So, uh, so we all made it back to the dressing room. And, uh, and, but the mob followed us all the way. And then uh, I let everybody through the door before I started to close it. And in that split second, man, that it took to close it, six open knives bounced off the wall just inside the dressing room before the door shut. What? Six knives? Wow. Like with the, with the blades, the blades out? Blades were out. They come through? They throw them through the door they before you could them. shut it? They threw them from the crowd, and they came through the dressing room door, bounced off the wall, concrete wall, God. before I could shut the door. Good God. Holy cow. Okay. So, so, so what do you do then? Well, you know, uh, I waited, man. Uh, you know, and everybody wanted to check my own. Yeah, Ron, you got a bad cut, man, here on your arm. And, uh, uh, oh, look, man, you got a hole in your head. <laughs> you know, the, we were just assessing damages of, yeah, of our own. Yeah. You know, who's hurt? Who's yeah. hurt here? Yeah. You know, what the deal was. And then, you know, I couldn't help myself uh, because I had so much involved in this. I own this company or a portion of it. Yeah. And this has been, you know, it's I'm, I'm just scared to open the door, but I can't keep from doing it to see the damage, see what yeah. it looked like out there. And uh, oh, I was so sorry. I opened the door. There were bodies laying everywhere. Man. Wow. I mean, people trying to get up and falling back down. And the police had finally got guts enough to come back to the back where all the people were. God. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and many of the still angry fans went around the outside of the building and they came to the back of the building to, to try to get in the back door to get us from the back side. Yeah. Right? So uh, the riot was still kind of going on. But uh, all I could think about, man, was how much money I'd lost that Wow! Uh, so, or what it was, uh, what, what it was going to cost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, but but when it, but when people from the crowd get involved, aren't they kind of taking that on themselves? And don't uh, you guys have a right to defend yourselves? Well, yeah, but that's mostly inside the ring. If a guy comes and jumps in the ring, yeah, he's your. You don't right. have to worry. Right. You can do whatever you want to. God. But when you're outside the ring and they're outside the ring, then it's a totally different situation. But e even though they, they sort of followed you to your dressing room, your, your safe spot. Yeah. They, wow. kept, they kept pushing it. They kept yeah. pushing it. And uh, you're, you're just trying, we're just trying to save our lives. Yeah. You um, know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and not hurt, not hurt the fans worse than you had to yeah. save your own life. So there you all right, you're the boss of the company. You're bleeding from your arm and your head. So what about your at some point you had to see about yourself. So what what about your arm and and the hit with the chair over the head? Well, the, the 
the police finally chased the fans out of the back of the building. And uh, once they got the back of the building uh, cleared out, uh, I, I didn't get, I took no shower or anything else. I, uh, I found my way to my car and then I found the nearest hospital. Uh, they put mm. 10 stitches on the inside of my arm and 12 on the outside from the, wow. from the knife or the razor, whatever it was, and 11 more stitches in the top of my head. Wow. How long before you were actually able to get back in the ring? Because you don't want your stitches busting open, that kind of deal. Well, I'll tell you, Dave, uh, this is the honest truth. I didn't miss a single night. What? Yeah, man. Uh, to me, you know, mere stitches really kind of meant nothing, you know. Because when they put a stitch in you, you've already sewn back together, basically. And if you don't break that wound open again, you're good to go. Right, so, oh so I was in the ring the next night. In fact, in Dothan, Alabama, in a ten-round boxing match with Bob Armstrong, <laughs> you know, and I only had a small patch of gauze over my right forearm where right. the knife had got me. Yeah, and uh, and I had nothing on the stitches in the top of my head. <laughs> People didn't even know I had stitches up there. Yeah, so yeah. then the gauze only lasted about three rounds at the boxing. And then the stitches began to bleed a little bit before the boxing was done. Mm -hmm. So I wrestled five more times that week God. Before, before I took the stitches out myself. Oh, oh you, you, you took care of that. So you didn't have to make another trip back to the. Yeah, I, had, I got good at it. I had had enough of those. I knew oh that. Oh, my God. Out. So, uh, oh you know, I, but I wrestled five more times that week and I bled pretty much a little bit on that arm every night. God dang. All right. You're not a self-diagnoser now, are you? You're not a doctor, Ron. <laughs> all right i had to get that in there holy cow that experience had to be a nightmare i've never heard anything like that before ron you were telling me earlier before i heard anything about this riot that you you have a super stud cast number nine that is called wrestling riots all about riots you were involved in during your career if fans would like to hear more about those they can hit your website, tnstud.com, tnstud.com. We've been saying it for weeks and weeks and months and months. Everything is there, studcast, super studcast, and it's all three hours. It's only $2.99, and that's super studcast, number nine, and it's all about the riots, and that includes Panama City, right, Ron? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that's wow. It. that is the, the one, the biggest one. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And, and riots <laughs> in different countries too. Yeah, that's a that's a great program, man. If you're uh, into that type of thing and uh, just in, curious about it, uh, I was in some outside the country was as dangerous as this one. I think about. Puerto Rico was one of those. Oh yeah, I, man. Th yeah, it, I remember it, that. It, yeah, the Bahamas, uh, yeah. lots of different places. Yeah. All right, folks, we're sorry, but we've run out of time again for another learning tree question. After that riot story, I don't think anybody's going to complain about that. So hopefully we'll get to another one next week. Okay, folks, on Facebook to become friends with Ron, you can only do it by going to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Like him, follow him there. You automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. It's that simple. The website, visit the stud on that tremendous website. We were just talking about that tnstud.com it's got everything you could want to know about the stud great videos and incredible photo gallery if you're a real old school wrestling fan 
This is a treasure. Hundreds of photos of wrestlers. Every stud cast ever done is free. And 43 three-hour super stud casts, like we just mentioned, number nine, they're all only $2.99. You can also shop the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs, personally autographed photos, T-shirts, and the thrilling lion novel Brutus. And you can get the mask exactly like the stud wore in the ring. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube is still full of some great shows. You can also get up-to-date information about the Studs' fantastic streaming channel at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It's all there, and it always will be. And this week, find another Brutus chapter, number four, and possibly this week, also chapter five. Many new Southeastern TVs from 1981, Superstars of the Past, number four, with Cal Farley and the original, the original Dutch Mantel, two of the most famous wrestling humanitarians that ever lived. The, fi- the fifth, Stars of the Sport, is now there too, with Fist of Stone and the one-man gang, Ronnie Garvin, filled with great photos throughout. And number six is coming soon, with NWA world champion Terry Funk and his student, his student, Stan Hansen. The content grows weekly. Well over 130 hours are there now of old school wrestling entertainment. It is only the beginning. You can subscribe. It's easy to do. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month, $39.99 per year. It is fast becoming the best old school streaming site on the planet. You're sitting there clicking through channels on your TV. There's nothing to watch. You watch what you want to watch at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Don't miss this special offer. Right now for a limited time, get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Man, what can I say? You've blown us away again, studs. I loved, loved the riot story. It was really cool. So what is coming next week? How do you top this? Well, Southeastern Knoxville, man, is going to be getting its second-ever car tournament. We had one for the Cadillac in 1976. Uh, we're about two years later. This one is going to be a one-night tournament for a brand-new 1978 Ford LTD Landau, man. Beautiful car. Uh, this one had wow. 13 men in it. Uh, it's going to have 12 matches plus a Southeastern tag match on top of those 12 matches. So uh, another big, spectacular event in Knoxville. Uh, Southeastern Gulf Coast, it's still growing at a tremendous pace during this time frame. We're going to find out about the new tag team combination of Wildman Fargo and Ricky Gibson, how they do as a team. And we'll get an update on that heel, that billboard by, man, that uh, is about to be in pretty soon at this point. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're definitely going to get another learning tree question answered next week. Uh, I can, uh, I can, I'll just promise the fans I'm going to have to make it happen <laughs> and, uh, and I want to send out a special thanks, man, uh, to a huge group of more than a quarter of a million podcast fans in my part of the country who listen to a podcast called Hillbillies in the Holler, man. Up here, I'm here in the Smoky Mountains, man. It's a great name. And like I said, they have more than a quarter of a million fans in this part of the country. And uh, I was honored to be on their first ever live podcast last week. Wow. I had a ball, man. That's so uh, I encourage fans out there, you know, uh, go like and follow them on Facebook and TikTok. That's Hillbillies in the Holler. 
and uh, great people and uh, a lot of fun. And as always, man, uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And please tell your friends and neighbors about us. Take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. Well done, Stud. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.